Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 264 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, starting off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. What's up today, Richard? Hey, Seth. It's going well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. We actually have a ton of stuff to talk about. I, I'm pretty excited for this. Lots of interesting topics today. But before we jump into that, we have another co-host in Krim. How are you doing today, Krim? Morning, Seth. Uh, go, I'm doing all right. Uh, well, that that is good. Everyone's doing all right. And we have a ton of magic news to talk about. So this weekend was Worlds. We've had like big tournaments three weeks in a row. But this is the last one for a minute. So we're going to be talking Worlds and Standard and all that stuff. We also got the release of Challenger decks. We got secret layer drop number, I don't even know what this one is, seven or eight that we've had, a new one that came out over the weekend and kind of interestingly was announced over the weekend and went on sale over the weekend and I think is already done being sold at this point, so like a flash sale of a new secret layer, also a kind of interesting judge topic that came up in relation to worlds, and then of course answer your fish mail question, so that is the plan for the podcast today, and before we jump into it, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit, and if you've ever struggled selling your magic cards with the hassle of sorting and shipping and all that stuff, Card Conduit is the easiest way to sell your magic cards. It's a new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder, and they will sort, grade, and sell your cards for you. And once your shipment is processed, you'll receive the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can get a 10% discount over at cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And with our sponsorship stuff out of the way, let's talk world. So world one of the most unique tournaments, I think, of the year. Only 16 players. The structure of it was pretty unique, I would say, at least for Magic tournaments. And in the end, it was Apollo Vitor Damodarosa, PVDDR, coming in at top, becoming the world championship, uh, world champion with Azurius Control. But what do you guys think of Worlds this weekend? What was your overall impression of this event that Wizards really advertised, maybe more so than any tournament that I can remember? This seems like they've been advertising this for like a month now leading up to the event. I mean, okay, well, I first off, uh, I... I was my eyes were like glued onto coverage this weekend. I I thought it was it was awesome. It was so much fun watching it. Uh and and like I really love the whole picking your champion thing uh this time around and it felt like the perfect fighting game character selection screen. Seth, you you and I we picked uh, the same champion who got to top 4 in Gabriel Nassif. So, yeah, and this you know, did <laughs> impressive. Considering how many like elimination matches he had to play, like poor Nassif, I think he had to grind yeah. through like sixteen or seventeen matches to make it to the top <laughs> four. But he he did it somehow with his uh blue white control deck, narrowly avoiding timing out basically every other match he played. Which was yep. that was one of my concerns <laughs> with picking Gab is like, uh, is he actually gonna like finish his matches? But he did, and he actually got to the top four. Uh, so yeah, the magic quality was just for the most part, very much off the chart. That's one of the cool things. Like, with Worlds, you don't get rogue decks for the most part. You have, like, the top 16 players. They are playing the best decks in the format. There's not really anyone that's going to break the meta for the most part at a tournament like this. But the upside is you can see just, like, really high-quality magic, match after match after match. What did uh, what did you think about the weekend, Richard? All right. So, coverage, I thought was really good. Um, so, we had a couple firsts. So, the first thing we had ever was a paper draft followed by playing on Magic Arena. And how they did that was they pre-recorded the draft. So their coverage was slightly different, which I actually really liked because 
when something was happening in the seat that you were viewing, they would kind of zoom out and be like, oh, look, two seats over, this thing happened. You know, uh, this person got cut off this color. They would show the whole table. They would show what everyone is drafting. So I think from a viewer perspective, the post-recorded draft was really good. You got to actually understand how the pod broke down. Uh, the matches on Arena, they were fine. Uh, tournament structure was weird. Uh, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know when we cut to day two. For some reason, the lower bracket played best of three matches, which meant you played best of three, best of threes. And that took, that made matches go for like literal ever. Like I, I this is what happened, okay? Like day two, like five hours into Worlds or whatever. I'm like, okay, I've seen like enough of this match. I don't want to see it. I switched to League of Legends, watched two matches, okay? <laughs> two full games, came back, they were still on the same freaking match, and I'm like, holy <laughs> smokes, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but eventually we cut to top four. But yeah, the, the upper lower thing was weird, because I think Paulo played approximately like five matches to get to the finals. Ironically, played like four more matches in the finals, like doubling his play count. Nassif played like 12, 15 or something on his way to top four. like. Getting into lowers made you ridiculously, uh, you know, fatigued. Fatigued, yeah. <laughs> like you just played forever. Like I got tired watching. Okay, I, I like cut part of day two out of my my program. Uh, but the finals, the top again, top four was like the longest I've seen to eliminate four players. <laughs> they started later, so normally uh, it started at like nine Hawaiian time. Uh, they pushed it back, so I thought, oh, it's going to be a short day. Again, every match went to like game three and then like the 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 actual third match as well. Uh, but in the end, it was Paulo versus Marcio. Uh, Paulo's in the top bracket, which meant he only had to win two matches. Marcio had to win three. Paulo gets, you know, wins the first match. We thought, okay, it's gonna be easy. Uh, Marcio comes back all the way uh, to make it match point. So they play one final match. Yeah. It goes down to game three. This is like the most epic finish of all time. And then Marcio does the weirdest mulligan decision I've ever seen in my life. Gets mana screwed, <laughs> dies. And I'm like, am I missing something? Like, was that not the sketchiest keep ever? Like he had the momentum. His deck was favored. Why would you keep such like a sketch hand? And then that like ruined the whole tournament for me. Although Paulo won. Paulo was my champion, so that was good. But I, wow. I, I, I want to see like the write-up. I want to see the write-up. I'm like, why would you keep that sketch hand when you have so much momentum coming all the way back to match point and having a deck that looked favored? Like whenever the games played out, it looked like his deck was favored against Paulo. So I just did not understand that final mulligan decision. It seemed like a tilt mulligan, but he wasn't the one that should be tilted. Paulo should have been tilted out of this world from not being able to close it out for so many matches. Uh, yeah. I wonder if like the pressure got it because you know like there there is the thing with marcio and how like when he plays any big tournament he always finishes second yeah <laughs> and sometimes when you have that in your head you will play the tournament and like you'll like you'll do something like that maybe right where you're just gonna get in your own head <laughs> and put yourself into a like a tilt keep or something like that so ironically the i think like the day before on reddit there was an mpl member who who said that they they like qualify twice for a players tour or something and they're not allowed to concede 
uh, due to the the wording in the MPL contract. So I'm guessing like you can't intentionally draw the top eight and things like that. And then people are saying like, how could you enforce it? You could just like keep sketch hands and never play lands and then just die and then concede like that. <laughs> and then when that happened to Barcio, I was like, is this what happened? Is this match mixing? Like what's going on? Like that was such a sketch keep. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why. Why Marcy would want to lose though? Like, what would the possible upside be of like throwing the finals? Isn't it like? I'm trying to look at the prize pool. I think like that single game is worth like at least like 150k, maybe 200k. I know the winner got 300,000. I'm trying to see what second place got, but I'm pretty sure it was like a very meaningful drop down to second place. So, do, do you think they actually played that, or do you think they split it? Are you allowed I to split worlds? I think they. are <laughs> I think they are no. If you're in the MPL, I don't think you're allowed to do that anymore. Huh? Yeah. So I'm pretty like, sure that they actually couldn't like have a prize spit. I because uh, I, I was listening to uh, Brad Nelson's <laughs> podcast and uh, he was talking about how they used to be able to do stuff like that, but they no longer can thanks to MPL rules. Maybe it was. Uh, I mean, behind the table split. Like check your bank account, check your PayPal account. <laughs> oh, I wire you 000. the money after the loss. Hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars for that one game. Hundred and fifty thousand is a payout for second. Three hundred for first. So that's that is more than most, maybe all pro tours in the history of Magic. Based on that one match, like winning that one match is the equivalent of like winning three normal pro tours where you get like $50,000 for first place. That is a ton of money that's on the line. So I could see nerves I mean, playing a factor. Like even for people that are used to playing high level magic, you're not used to playing a high level magic where a single mulligan decision is the difference between $150,000 in, uh, in, in losing that. Yeah. And, and like, I think a lot of factors go into it on the big stage, right? Like I, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, like with with Marcio having having that uh, that thing like known about him, where he always finishes second, that really can kick in, right? Like I'm not gonna lie to you, like when I played in tournaments and like I had, I, I was like, well, I I had this thing where I knew I would always get into the top eight of events, but then I'd always go one and done in the top eight. And sometimes when I get into top eights, I just it, it would always set in like right at the top eight, and then I'd like pretty much punt myself out of a PTQ. <laughs> <laughs> I would make sure I got one and done. And I didn't mean to. It was just sometimes you just get in your own head. Yeah. So I, I want to see the write up from Marcio for this. I want I want to learn. I want to know, like, did he feel, you know, was he just fatigued? Like, did he go delirious? Like, you know, after playing magic for like four hours? <laughs> Delirium he, like, was set in. He misclicked. He was like, I want a ball. Did he press keep? I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> that was the punt. Or he just thought like, no, nope, Paulo's got him. Like he's got, he's got to take the risk. It's, it's got to be this hand. I mean, maybe sometimes you know, like I, I won't lie to you either. Like you got to lean into the, <laughs> the, 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 the spicier hand, <laughs> as I would like to call it, the content keeps. <laughs> it, it was for the content. Hashtag for yeah. the content. <laughs> Hashtag content keeps. <laughs> so, so I think one of the. What did y'all think about the structure? Like, I think that was my biggest problem with the event. Like, the coverage was very good. The play was very good. We had some really interesting matches, despite it just being a handful of decks, which is normal for a tournament like that World. That play. But I just really didn't like, I guess, the structure of it. So I was talking about this people on Twitter, and I don't really follow or play fighting games, but apparently this is the normal prize structure for fighting games. Uh, yep. But I'm not sure if that structure works for magic because from what I do know about fighting games is 
they're not nearly as high variance as magic. Like, in fighting games, I think the more skilled person is going to be favored to win. Magic, that's not necessarily true. Like, maybe you have a slight advantage, but there's a lot of variance in magic. So I guess maybe the upside of this structure is you have this drama where people are constantly, like, playing matches where their tournament life on the line, basically, and if you lose, you can drop out, and that started all the way from day one with people dropping out of the tournament, but I thought it was just really confusing. If you look at the the Mothership website, there's, like, four or five different brackets with names all over the place, <laughs> and, like, this going here, and this, it, it, it was <laughs> like that, it's like that, uh, Charlie Kelly beam from Always Sunny, like, the, the, where he's, where he's pointing up at the board and he's got all that <laughs> yeah, stuff like that is the tournament structure of of world Easy. so yeah <laughs> so i don't know I, do you think they should switch it up in the future for this style of tournament or should they stick with this kind of fighting game structure i i see why they chose to go with the structure because magic is a lot of it, it's 1v1 right and it, it it was a lot like watching like an evo tournament uh, and stuff like that. So I thought it was pretty sweet. I can understand where the confusion sets it, like you had mentioned, because there's names all over the board, and and like for some odd reason, randomly somebody's entire tournament life is on the line, and you can't really figure out why. But I think I think if it weren't for the fact that I watched stuff on Evo already, I I probably wouldn't understand what, what's going on. But I I like it. I like the tension that it builds. And yeah, I, I think understanding it was hard at first, but once you understood it. It made sense, but it was just way too much magic. Like a fighting game, like a match takes like five minutes, right? Like it doesn't take an hour and you can switch characters in between matches and things like that. You can't switch decks. S- like, sideboarding. <laughs> but they, I mean, I think this, they just, it, it should be like double a limb, best of five, right? I think part of the reason why they went best of three, best of three is they couldn't do a best of five and they couldn't control the coin toss. Right, like even if you played three matches in the in the best of three, whoever won the coin toss was still random. Whereas, you know, the person who lost the match uh, previously should go first, right? If we go according to our normal magic rules, so they just did all these weird janky things to get around the fact that you can't do best of five and control uh, control the coin toss. Like they should just add these features into arena and call it a day, right? You have a million dollar tournament. You can't like invest just a little bit into the feature set of Magic Arena to improve <laughs> the quality of your tournaments. Like, I mean, I, I do like, yeah, like I, it's pretty, <laughs> to answer that question, yeah, they, they can't do that because, <laughs> you know. No, but they did. Uh, so, did. So one thing, I'm going to give them props for this. They replaced the avatars and the versus screen with the MPL oh, players, sweet. which was super that sweet. That was so sweet. Right? I and just then, wish you could have custom emotes that yeah. they could have filmed like Mangu saying, good game. Oh, oh <laughs> they should have added voice lines. Like, can you imagine yeah. your canister with his voice line in there? Like, boom. <laughs> oh, well, canister, I think they'd have to charge double for canister because <laughs> the amount of people, including me, that would pay to just like meme with canister. Like yeah. all day long, like which, which by the way, I think this to tie like to talk about something way back was like now. By the way, I think this whole thing kind of worked out because now we actually uh, we've all come to love and know all the MPL players. Because uh, remember, I think at the beginning of last year, we were looking to see how all of this like star building works inside Magic, and I think I think it. By the way, like at, now at the end of the year at Worlds. I think it, they did a good job, right? Like, now we know who all the MPL players are. Uh, you have Canister, who's, like, become a meme master on his own. And you have all these characters coming out. Uh, I, I mean, I, th- I think they did a good job, by the way, on star building. However, uh, to talk about something I did have a problem with with Worlds, I thought that Mangu getting that game lost because they had a draft in paper was kind of weak. 
Yeah, that, you know, I, you know what, was, what was more weak? They didn't fix the coverage. So coverage was talking about how he had uh, his deck was an oh, A yeah. because he misregistered <laughs> his six drop like you know okayish archons to as the four drop constructed playable all star and everyone's like yeah his deck's an A you should smash and then his deck actually was like mediocre because he misregistered <laughs> and they never updated the graphics and he never updated the you know the commentary. Does yeah. that mean? coverage gets a game loss also they should. oh my okay I, I don't want to rag on coverage but they should have like a production guy talking into the earpiece because for so long so many matches there's a Teferi on board or a Narset on board and they're like oh he's choosing not to counter I'm like there's a Teferi right there okay I understand you missed it but it happens again for the next like four minutes of the match where they keep talking about how he's choosing to hold his counter spell and I'm like, could someone not just like speak into the earpiece and make the corrections so we don't get this weird commentary? Like, there's a Narset, you can't draw cards. There's a Teferi, you cannot cast anything at instant speed. It was just like super hard for the commentators and yeah, I, just, I, just get I some thought, feedback, right? <laughs> I I thought that was just for crowd engagement. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> if, the break check, you know, like, oh, oh, you, oh so you are paying attention. <laughs> yeah. If, there was ever something that kind of reconfirmed the idea that maybe static abilities on planeswalkers aren't a best thing. It's probably that really good professional commentators a year and a half after War of the Spark released are still miss like that's something people are still missing. Like it's I figured people yep. would adjust to static abilities on planeswalkers eventually. Nope. It is still not <laughs> happened. And they have been in I still do it. I still like crack my fetch oh. lands into Ashiox or card draw spells in a Narset. <laughs> like and I play as much magic as anyone. So I, I mean, yes, maybe it would be nice if there was a way they could fix that, but boy, that is a really common mistake still somehow. Oh yeah. And especially if this were paper, oh Oh my god like <laughs> like on paper i can't tell you how many times i do that like <laughs> i casted thirst for meaning into a, an art set i was like oh <laughs> oh yeah get to discard a card hooray <laughs> literally i played against i think i've gotten too spoiled by arena because without an animation there i can't tell something's happening and, and like yeah, the other day i was playing at a pioneer tournament and my friend, my friend, I get paired in the last round. He he sacks his selfless spirit, <laughs> and then right after, I go okay, resolves, and then I dread, I try to dread bore his other spirit after it resolves. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like I should get on, put on my clown makeup, and ride my unicycle out of here. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, another world's topic I wanted to ask you both about is so Paulo won, uh, and Paulo has been on a heater lately, and Paulo's someone that for me. He's always been in the third to, like, fifth range as far as greatest players of all time. I've always considered either uh, Kai or John Finkel being number one. And then Paulo's kind of, for me, always been in that next group where it's, like, Paulo and Nassif and LSV is maybe in that argument. There's a there's kind of a big-ish group there behind the top two. Is it time that we got to reevaluate Paulo? Like, is Paulo someone who... As crazy as it sounds to say this, is he arguably just ahead of Finkel, ahead of Kai at this point? Should he be in the literal greatest of all time conversation and not just like, you know, the greatest of all time outside of the top two that are clearly the greatest? Uh, I would say, yeah. I mean, like, first off, I, I, I think he's definitely in the conversation. He's... He's proven time and time again that, like, he takes the most efficient line. Watching him play... um which players tour was it? I, I think it was I think it was Brussels 
or and like watching him play at one life against mono red and then work his way back in watching him doing crazy lines like blowing up his own voice of resurgence just to fill his yard up so that he could cast uro again like all this other stuff like i i just think that paulo is just on a, in a whole nother league when it comes to play level like he is efficient very efficient very good he's the like the People say it all the time, but I actually think Paulo doesn't. It doesn't matter what deck he's playing; he can beat you with a ham sandwich. It doesn't matter, right? Like, <laughs> like he will win. Like I don't care. Like whatever the odds are for that matchup, that would normally be true if it's not against PV. Like I'm pretty sure he can beat Tron with blue white control, like easily. So, so would you say he's number one of all time? Then would it, would you go? I know you said he's in the conversation. Give me your top three. Like you got Paulo, you got Finkel, you got Kai. What order would you put those uh, them in? If if not first, then second. I, I I like between John Finkel. It'd be a swap between those two. What do you think, Richard? This is such a tricky. All right, here here, here are the stats, which I've pulled off this tweet. Which where, where did this come from? From Odin FK. Okay, Paulo total PT sixty two wins two top eights fourteen top 16's 15 lifetime earnings. 600,000. Uh, Finkel, 87 Pro Tours, three wins, 16 top eights, 27 top 16s, 430,000. Uh, Kai Bude, 63 Pro Tours, seven wins, 11 top eights, 14 top 16s, 400,000. Uh, so without playing at a high level of magic or without playing against any of these people, because I think that's actually important, like what your peers think about you when you, when they sit down and play. I think Paulo's stats are better than Finkel's stats, right? And I think they're better than Kai's stats, except Kai has like this uncanny break, seven right? wins. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the absurd number with Kai is 11 right? top eight and seven wins. So he won like 60 some percent of the top eights he made it into. When you look at like Paulo, he's what, two of 14. So he wins roughly what you'd expect. If one out of those eight players are going to win, Paulo's winning, you know, one eighth of the time, a little bit better than that. Same with Finkel for the most part, three out of 16. But then those numbers on Kai, like that's the one number that... I think keeps Kai in the conversation for me. If it wasn't for just like the absurd rate of winning once he got into the top eight, the ability to like close out by winning the tournament, then I think it would clearly be either Apollo or Finkel that I would rank ahead. But boy, that number is, it's just really like staggering to win that often once you make it into the top eight. But here's Kai the thing. Kai is so, certainly efficient. So I Kai mean, was I, efficient during a period, like a, a period, right? Like Apollo's been good, like efficient over his entire career. And that career includes now, which is, you know, arguably the highest level magic has, has ever been, right? Like if you take a pro from 10 years ago and a pro today, not even a pro, like some amateur today, they would probably crush the pro from back then, right? Like just what we know about magic, the level of competition, the growth of the game, it's much harder today to do well than uh, back then. So like it's, it's a lot like like how people nowadays like compare like LeBron to Michael Jordan. Can you can you compare the two? And I would say like it, it feels a lot like that. But at the same time, like I think it goes both ways. So I think you are right. Like the level of competition is uh, definitely improved over the years. But at the same time, looking at it from the other direction, uh, 
players today have a lot of advantages that Kai or whoever didn't. Like, you didn't have MTG Goldfish. You could just look up the metagame. You didn't have people that are, like, publishing, (laughs) uh, you know, breakdowns (laughs) of matchup data and all that stuff. So, like, while, yes, the overall play was worse, like, it also comes with a lot of disadvantages, too, I think. So maybe it evens out to some extent. Nah, nah. I think it's, like, reverse football, where you're like, Dan Marino... (laughs) Is like the greatest quarterback of all time because like, you know, you could just like annihilate the receiver at the line back in the day, right? Like, <laughs> and he, he had like obscene passing numbers where today is really easy to get high passing numbers. But then like Kai Boone is like Tom Brady, like, but my like 8 million Super Bowls, right? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I think, I don't know. I think just like Paulo playing at a high level today and putting up the same numbers as the other two to me puts them up there the problem is we all grew up as you know with Finkel and Boudet as like the gods of magic so it's like really unsettling to like unseat them in our minds but just look at the numbers like Paulus numbers are ridiculous and every time I watch a tournament he's like top eighting it for some reason right <laughs> like it's yeah. just yeah it's It'll, just ridiculous that he's still it's doing a free it today. Roll. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see with uh, Kai making rivals this year if he can if he can add to his stats and like maybe change that because I think that is maybe there's some recency bias where like the heyday of Kai was what 2002 or something. We're looking at 20 years ago. That was a long time ago. And Finkel like has still shown up and had some top eights in the last like decade, but not nearly as much as his heyday, which was also back. So maybe there's some like recency bias because we see Paulo like killing every tournament over the past year and just like top eighting everything. So it'd be interesting to see what Kai does now that he's back on the train, more or less, being in the Rivals League. Like, can he get back to anywhere near his peak? I think that's going to be something that's really interesting to watch over the course of the next year yeah yeah like this rivals league is going to just be insanely fun to watch now like right like you i do i do like that right like some people would say like oh wow like you know some of these players like kai kai should already be mpl blah blah blah, blah. but like i mean like i do think that having kai and and all these other wonderful players like the rivals league is stacked i think that rivals league is going to be a lot more fun to watch than probably the mpl because there are a ton of good players and and kai being one of them so i cannot wait to see how that plays out yeah oh also one last thing we didn't mention finkel is from america who has like a huge advantage versus paulo from brazil and kai from germany like i don't even know i don't understand who paulo even plays right like there's like no (laughs) there's like barely like now (laughs) now there's barely like any players coming out of the region imagine like 10 years ago right like you know we always lament like oh you know there's not any events on the west coast or something right there's like no events in the entire like continent country whatever right like being from Brazil, you're at a much, much greater disadvantage, especially before the days of digital, right? Like just back in the day, like I, I don't even know what he played. Like like he had to travel the world. Uh, he didn't just hop on a domestic flight and go somewhere. It was actually a big disadvantage for uh, non-US players. So to have that career is like even more mind blowing. That is yeah. that is true. Like that's a lot to I overcome totally forgot about that, that from yeah. South America. So maybe like that's another 
I think I could be convinced that Paulo should be number one. The only thing that keeps me from from going that fully is just like the absurd seven wins from Kai. But like you said, it was a different time. How much do you discount? Maybe that's like like some of the stats you see from like Wilt Chamberlain in basketball, where you're just like, oh my, he averaged like 50 points a game and like scored 100 points, and like yeah, that's just not something that can happen today with people like being better at basketball and more athletic. So maybe there's some discount to Kai's uh, amazing record because of the time period. Oh, that's a that's it's a really interesting conversation, but. I maybe with the South American disadvantage that Paulo faced to still put up these numbers, maybe that is the the reason to slot him in at number one at this point. Yeah. Plus, uh, yeah. he's, he's winning in the metric that matters seven hundred thousand. <laughs> Although, like at the same time, I mean, he just got three hundred thousand dollars from one tournament. When that's just the money has increased so much in the last couple years that yeah. I think uh, I think Kibler was talking about that. Like whoever whoever wins this tournament is literally going to make more money than I made over my entire Magic career. <laughs> and he played sixty one <laughs> pro tours. <laughs> yeah, Kibler, Kibler has got a cool two hundred ten thousand to his name. Kibler has pretty good efficiency. Two wins, five pro tours. Five top eight pro tours. Yeah. It's definitely cool oh to see my God. Kibler. And I, back I love Kibler bit. on coverage. I yeah. loved Kibler on coverage. But yeah. Uh, all right. One other one other topic from the pro tour, and then we really going to move on to these uh, other topics. So uh, one of the things that happened to the pro tour is one of the competitors ripped up one of their cards. And then this created a bit of a controversy, I would say, on Twitter. So uh, a judge chimed in on Twitter and basically said, if you do this at an event I'm judging, I'm going to give you a warning for unsporting conduct, minor to serving cards, even if they're your own cards, makes people sad. There's better ways to handle frustration. Uh, what do you think about that? Can a, can a judge give someone a warning uh, for ripping up one of their own magic cards at a magic fest or some tournament? Uh. <laughs> uh. So I, I'm, I'm going to assume it's one of these interpretations. I'm going to assume there's no explicit line that said this, says this in the rule book, but he's saying... It's unsportsmanlike conduct, and he's going to get you for unsportsmanlike conduct. And I think that's like a pretty big reach. Like, I mean, I guess if you like took your cards, tore it up, and threw it in your opponent's face, then okay. But if you were just there after the match by yourself, tearing up your cards, like that's a massive reach. And like, who cares what you do with your cards? I think that's just an abuse of power. But I don't actually know what the rules say. I'm not a judge. So I don't know what would happen, right? But I would be furious if I was like rage tearing to fairies or something and got DQ'd from a tournament for no reason. Yeah, that that also seems like a bit of a stretch to me. Uh, uh, kind of exactly what you said. Like if you're doing it in some way that's like aggressive to your opponent or something, then I can kind of see the argument. But that would be more about like not necessarily about you ripping your cards, but how you were interacting with your opponent that would be the the issue there. So I could see that, but if you're just, like, sitting on a table and rip up one of your cards, uh, that seems crazy to me that a judge could, like, walk up and tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, warning for you. <laughs> if, if like, the judge really wanted to do that, I, I think there, this actually, because I'm trying to remember here, when I was taking my L1, this was a long time ago. I think I've lapsed as a judge because I barely even know how the stack works now. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, like I, I remember there was something where like we were talking about if you just ripped up your own cards and stuff like that, that could be some kind of infraction. So in the rules, I think it's somewhere there. I don't understand the point of it, but yeah, like I, I, I guess. What okay, about, okay. Like, how about it this? Rip it? No, no, no! Wait, wait. I, I got a better one for you. Yeah, I think I think that's what sparked it. Oh my I think gosh! That's what, I flip it or rip it. 
So if you're at Worlds, okay, and you lose your match, you take your keyboard and you smash it. <laughs> Game loss? DQ? That, 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 that's unsportsmanlike conduct, right? You would get DQ'd for that, right? But also brilliant product placement. Because <laughs> yeah. if, if, so, I guess okay, that's okay. probably true. So maybe if you rip your card, it's the same thing? Okay, what if you were backstage smashing keyboards? So not in front of your opponent, not in front of the cameras. You're just like, why did you mulligan? I wanted to keep it. You smash your keyboard. Is that is that a DQ if you did I, it in private? I feel like that stuff is accepted in other sports. Like you see baseball players that like strike out and then go like smash the whatever Gatorade cooler in the, the dugout or something like that's And they don't get like kicked out of the game or anything. So like are basketball players that, I don't know, kick the ball into the stands. I, I think it's or, a privacy thing. You smash your bat in your dugout. Football, you get a touchdown, you put the ball in front of your opponent, 15-yard penalty, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's like where you do it, I think. So like if you took your bat, walked up to the pitcher and started smashing it on the ground, like I think you would get something in in, uh, <laughs> in baseball, right? Yeah. But how does so I think it's with, the privacy of it. But like how does that go with I guess I could see like maybe you're sitting in a feature match table and you lose and you're just like, like rip your cards up on camera and like <laughs> I could see how people would be mad about that. But like yeah. if you lose and then you go off to some side table that isn't on coverage, although technically not private, like is that still <laughs> and then baby the line? rage there? Yeah, <laughs> I think you should be allowed I mean, to do that. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess like because I've literally seen somebody at a PTQ lose and literally scoop their deck into the trash can right next to the table. <laughs> like, well, that's a power move right there. Like it was a, it was like a clean sweep. They took their left arm and they just brushed it across the table into the trash can. I laughed hysterically, and then he came back and got his cards <laughs> oh that's hilarious uh, uh, all right all right well i guess there's no no clear answer but something to be aware of i guess if you're going to tournaments it's, it's on the judge it's on the judge really like because like you know they'll say like, like there's a lot of things that are on the judge like whether you can play with a certain altar or whether or not you can scoop your deck up and into the trash can <laughs> like you know what i mean like <laughs> uh, all right, let's. Any other thoughts on uh, worlds before we move on and hit oh, up a couple of other topics? Only one small thing, and it was the matchup against uh, like Toffel and Andre Strasky, where Toffel decides that he's going to cat just to like outlast uh, Andre because Andre had a dream trawler but was out of cards and cannot attack with it. So Thoroff uh, casts emergency powers. Uh, holds priority and then counters it with absorb to stay alive just so Andre mills out. <laughs> I thought that was the sickest play of all time. That, that <laughs> yeah. is super sweet. That, that was definitely a good one. But yeah, that's it. All right, so let's move on from the world of worlds to the world of some new products we have coming. Maybe the biggest news uh, from the weekend yes. as far as products was we got the deck list for the 2020 oh, edition of Challenger Deck. So Challenger Decks are the yearly product where the idea is they'll hopefully be at least like FNM playable out of the box and designed to mimic top tier decks. So different than a lot of pre-con decks, which are more casually focused, these are more to some extent spike focused, I think, that you can actually play these in tournaments. So uh, we got deck-wise a mono-red cavalcade aggro deck, we got a Simic Flash deck, we got a 
Planeswalker or Super Friend version of Jeskai Fires and also Green Black Adventures. What do you guys think of the 2020 Challenger decks? Uh, are you happy with them or the improvement over last year? Which ones are you excited about? What do you think? Oh my gosh, yes. Dude, these lists look so much better. I mean, outside of like the uh, like random four Windscarred Crags, <laughs> like outside of the Jeskai deck, I do think that the, the these lists are sweet. I'm actually going to, because I haven't bought Paper Magic, like when it comes to standard at least, uh, for a minute. Uh, so I'm going to definitely be picking up a few of these so I can actually play Paper Standard again. I am so excited for that, uh, the Fires deck. And I, I think the value got better, right? Didn't, did the value get better? Like, is each deck on average, I think before, like, the last one, there were some that were just, like, $20, $30, like, in value. The value definitely increased compared to last year. I did an article, it's uh, up on the site if you want to look at it, but it uh, was, like, a 20-ish percent increase. I think the average value last year was, like, in the low 70s, and then this year it's up around 90 or in the 90s, so definitely a meaningful increase in value, and... We got some really high-end cards, too, that I'm a little surprised about. One of the things we've seen in past Challenger decks is Wizards being willing to put in high-end cards, but only if those cards are rotating. Like, we had uh, Kaladesh Chandra show up, but it was, like, three months before us rotating, so sure, it was, like, a $30 card, but it's a little less valuable because it's going to start declining anyway. But some of the high-end cards this year, like Embercleave in the Mono Red deck, that's not rotating. Fabled, Fabled Passage is... In one of them, right? Uh, Fabled the Passages Jeskai? is actually no, 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 in two of them, I believe. It's in the Simic deck and also uh, also the Golgari deck. There was also Brazen Borrower in the Simic deck, which is oh, another like $25 yeah. card that's pretty hard to find. So they definitely juice the value. And I think they're pretty reasonable decks. I think overall, I'm pretty happy with them. The only thing I would say is you can see a little bit of outdatedness uh, as far as these decks being designed after tournament decks. Decks like the Golgari Adventure deck, that was a deck that was like semi-popular right after Throne of Alderaan released. And same for the Fires deck, like the Allied Fires uh, Super Friends deck that's basically fallen out of favor. No one really plays Super Friends Fires anymore. It's all like Cavalier Fires. So you are going to have to do some work to upgrade them in a or less, but like the mono red list is really close to being a legitimate one of the best decks in the format, and you can buy it presumably for like 30 or 40 bucks based on last year's prices. If you can like add in a few more ember cleaves, you just have like legitimately one of the top decks in standard for a really low price. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the red deck, I'm looking at it right now, and it's like really all you got to do is just put four annex in there, and then boom. Yeah. Problem solved, like the deck is fine, and like a few more Ember Cleaves. Annex and Ember, yeah, one of the tricks I think with that one is it's kind of a good deck to die, buy multiples of, because Ember Cleave is like $25 by itself, and if you buy the whole deck for $30, you might as well just buy enough to get your play set of Ember Cleave, and you basically have like a legit deck and a bunch of extra stuff you can trade away or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because like the last uh, Challenger decks, you pretty much did, you, you did that with like the Phoenix deck, right? You just bought like multiples of the Phoenix deck, and boom, you had an actual... The, the actual, like, you know, 75. Yeah. What do you think, Richard? Uh, I like it. I mean, I think they will sell like hotcakes. I think these are made for arena players who want to delve into paper magic. Cavalcade Charge is the best deck. It's pretty close. Everyone's playing Modern Red and Ladder anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other decks, they're like past... Okay, so Allied Fires is really bad. <laughs> I think Allied Fires are just like missing all the stuff. The other two decks are just decks from Old Standard. Uh, Allied Fires could have used the Teferi or... You didn't add Cavaliers because they're all Mythics, right? They don't want to put too many in. Uh, but the Allied <laughs> Fires deck is a deck. weird deck. Like, 
I don't think it's good starting point for anything, right? So I think the other three are better, but Mono Red, uh, you know, you can play it as is, it's probably pretty good. You can add one or two more Ember Cleaves, uh, you can add some annexes, uh, but it's it's pretty good, like out of the box. Like you could probably four zero this with this easily at F and M. I think the Simic Flash one is actually pretty decent out of the box too. Like you could use a couple more Brazen Borrowers. Thornwood Falls is like kind of obnoxious in the mana base, but really, it's pretty close to the tier quote unquote version of Simic Flash, which isn't like a top tier deck at this point. But I still run into it on Arena and stuff. There's still people that play it yeah. and beat me with it on occasion. And then uh, the deck that I also do kind of like is the green black adventure deck not because it's good right now but because it essentially survives rotation so even though you're not getting a top tier deck if you pick up that deck you're picking up a deck that you can play for 18 months or something when the other decks kind of go away at rotation like simic flash loses most of its key pieces the fires deck you lose all of the planeswalkers from more of the spark so there is some longevity i think if you go with the green black adventure deck and i had a blast playing that deck back during like october or whatever like the, the deck was actually pretty fun i got to mythic at one point playing a deck that was almost exactly the same as this deck like the night adventure lucky clover plan so i'm i'm not gonna lie to you i i think i think the uh the allied fires deck is is also just it may look dated but i don't know there's still something about just slamming a bunch of planeswalkers like that i think will this deck look it like may not it will surprise you i think it can win i think i can when your opponent plays fires it falls off with the sahili sublime artificer are you are you trembling do you think paulo could uh dispatch that in the finals of the world nope nope (laughs) to be honest with you it's like kasvita Oh no! What am I gonna do? Think about how many passives there are. Just purely based on how many passives there are on like with this deck, you they probably can win that way. They stack up, yeah. <laughs> unbeatable. Eight <laughs> passives. Uh, all right. One other product announcement we got was a new secret layer. So Wizards kind of like hyped that there would be a secret layer during Worlds. They announced it right as Worlds was starting. I think the sale ended yesterday. It was basically for sale during Worlds, and it was a five drop three of the original Theros gods in each drop. So 15 total gods. Uh, individual drops, I think, were $40 for three gods. And then all together, you could get all 15 gods for 150 They have this sweet constellation art, which we've seen uh, like in the collector's boosters for Theros Beyond Death, kind of the Nick Sky background god style. And they're foil. And they are foil. And uh, did you get one, Krim? Did, did, did oh, any yeah. of you get one? Yeah. I picked up all the gods. Um, just because, like, I I, I love the constellation art. And I, I, these things are beautiful in foil. If it's anything like the Theros foils, like, it, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And because I actually just don't have some of these gods already. And for EDH, you know, I got to have some cool cards in my EDH deck. Like, I don't actually own a, a Perforos God of the Forge yet. So, I mean, I can I can pay what is essentially $10 for each God, as opposed to, like, $40 or $30 to a per, for a Perforos. And then, you know, I mean, granted, I have no need for an Afara, but maybe I will at some point. <laughs> someday. Someday, <laughs> Afara. <laughs> yeah, like, but I, I think this is a pretty sweet deal. Because, I mean, for somebody that plays EDH, decks will, usually some decks... Well, like most decks will run one of these gods, right? So why not? 
Yeah, it definitely seems good for EDH players. I think I added up kind of like the non-foil price of all the gods, and it was right about $150 anyway. So from that perspective, you're getting a fair deal. And the art is really cool. Uh, the foils, the original foils of the Theros gods, some of those are really expensive, like $60 or $70 a piece. Uh, hard to compare secret layers to original foils because they have so much supply because of how they're distributed, but it definitely seems like a pretty sweet drop. Uh, what did you think of this one, Richard? I like the art. Uh, so it's available. It's gone already, right? It was only available yeah. during Worlds. They revealed it during Worlds. I think it's fine. I don't know. I don't usually buy these kind of products, but if people like them, I don't see why not. And I like that they're the old cards that don't have like a million promos for, so... Yeah, and it was kind of cool to see the old cards with the new style of art. The only thing I would say that I kind of maybe dislike a little bit is how, like, pushy some of the sales techniques come across, Dev. Like, the the whole FOMO thing where it's like, hey, we're going to tell you about this right now. It's going to go on sale right now for, like, two days, and if you don't get it, sorry, you're out of luck forever. So players can't, like budget for Haven't it. Haven't you seen a QVC commercial? Yeah. It feels like that. Kimler was, <laughs> it comes Kimler was doing QVC pushy. commercials. Act now and we'll throw in, you know, a stained glass planeswalker, right? I'm surprised they didn't do that, but... I mean, I really, I actually hope that they do that. I think that'd be a really cool commercial for, like, a secret layer. Like, pretend like it's QVC, but it's WOTC. So, like, I kind of wish it was announced a little further ahead. Just, like, I don't know, the high-pressure thing... I feel like with so many products coming out this year, players need to prioritize what they care about and what they want most because you just, most players can't afford every single product. It's just so much money and they're not, uh, every product isn't designed for everyone. They're designed for specific niche audiences. So I wish there was a little bit more lead time rather than the like, buy it now, 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 you got to get it right this second. But still, uh, that quibble aside, it was a, a pretty sweet secret layer drop and the art is spectacular, I think. I think Richard just isn't happy with these yet because they haven't released a skeleton drop yet and he's, he's waiting for that that skeleton secret layer drop if they if they secret layer drop skeleton. the Final Fantasy Liliana I'd, I'd be all over it I'd be all over it immediately <laughs> no. so you're telling me you don't care for skeletons then no no I, I, I only care about it has. It can't just be a promo, right? I don't care about promos. It has to be something I actually care about. Like if there was, like, say, uh, Final Fantasy crossover, a League of Legends crossover, I would just buy all that up for no reason. <laughs> but it was just like I don't know. It's just I can look up in the sky and see stars. No, I can't live in a city. I, but <laughs> I would actually. I would love that, like, just to, like, kind of line up with Final Fantasy VII Remake, oh, uh, where yep. they release, like, maybe, like, a bunch of basic lands that are, like, scenes from, like, Final Fantasy. I think that'd be really cool, but, you know, yep. I can always dream. <laughs> yep. uh, we we got to do, like, Hasbro crossovers. I don't know what it would be, but... I mean, yeah, they had Transformers, they yeah, right? My but, but they're not my little legal. Pony. <laughs> if they were legal, I would play. Like uh, Optimus Prime, Solemn Simulacrum or something like that. I, oh. I, I would get that. Like, like, yeah, like I think that'd be really cool. And specifically, I, I think just basics. Basics are perfect. Like, you can capture a lot of sceneries of... It's like know, Cybertron. Like, you're like, what? Why is this not my, why is this not my basic planes? But okay. <laughs> I, I Look, I won't argue it. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah, give me Cybertron, you know? Like... Uh, all right, well, let's move on from Challenger decks and Layer Drops and answer some fish mail before we run out of time today. So, Richard, fish mail us. 
All right, if you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. One epic pug. Is there a day's undoing deck to be found in Pioneer? Something with Narset and Three Fairy or Blue Prison of Past Standards. Uh, yes. Oh, I mean, I, I played one, um, and it, it, it was on my, like, yeah, it was Demir uh, Wheels. And it was it was a sweet deck. Like you play the full four Narsets, you play four Notion Thief, and then you play the four like you know like it is all the things that you could want. Um, and you play the land. What's the land? Gyre Reach San, uh, Sanitarium. Sanctum? Sanitarium. There we go. Like it, it is a sweet deck, and you will usually get people with it. Like I mean, no one will expect <laughs> the. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't add the white for Teferi, but if you wanted to, that's some sweet <laughs> business. I, Believe it or not, I did not add the Teferi. I think someone five would with a list like that a while ago. So there is like a tiny bit of tournament, I guess, uh, cred for the type of list. There maybe there's something there. I definitely think it's a fun deck, and you could uh, can play it. It's probably playable as far as being like top tier competitive. How did it go for you, Krim? Did you actually win some uh, matches with it? Oh yeah, I, like like well because it just plays is a blue black deck uh like you're just blue black control that also happens to just make people very irritated when you wheel them <laughs> maybe maybe mash it up with inverter because then you can like shuffle your graveyard back in to empty your <laughs> your graveyard with the days undoing and then inverter combo kill <laughs> yeah you, you could try i mean i haven't i haven't tried that right like with the inverter combo but you know that actually would be pretty sweet but just just think about it like when you wheel and you get to like notion thief them on top of that like you draw like a bajillion cards and then like because i i think like yeah the list was like four thieves two scarab gods go uh, like because i'm looking at my my article right now and like yeah like the deck was fun it was a lot of fun all right next up rap shonen is magic the gathering a sport i like telling people that i play magic when they ask if i play sports or sports are mentioned huh. um hmm. i would is it like a sport like like how like golf is a sport i think that like i've always compared magic to golf so okay okay if someone walked up to you at a party like do you play any sports would you say yes. magic the gathering <laughs> yeah i i would say magic the gathering but then i would also walk like i wouldn't say anything i wouldn't elaborate on it after i would just turn around and yell esports and then walk away <laughs> i I don't think I would say yes. I don't think I consider magic a sport. Maybe I I think I could maybe be convinced or argued into it, but I don't know. I think I always associate sports with some amount of like physical activity when like is chess Shuffling? a sport? Yes. Is it though? <laughs> Moving pieces? Like, is, is is what makes wait, okay, it a sport? On. Is it like being I, I competitive actually... or having like physical aspects to it? I don't think sports need to only be like doing jumping jacks or, or you know what i mean like 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 i think i think mental sports is a real thing so yeah but it's not like our random definition right like is chess in the olympics no it is not is golf I, in the I olympics do. no right no but it is a sport hmm. see is so, it though? so like i don't know okay I, so I, is magic it, it, in esports yes probably right even though you play in paper but I, I would say esports, there, there's a different category, and you can sit here and argue. But if you're going to talk to like a normal person, then I think it's ridiculous to bring this up because it's so nuanced, and you have to argue about it. They're like, you know what they're trying to ask, right? Like, I mean, like if you if you really want to talk about magic, here's your in to talk about magic. But I would say like, I don't play any sports. 
but I play esports. I play magic, right? Like that'd be my response, right? But I don't know if I can Yo. say the straight face. Like I play card games. That's the sport I play. I, I, don't, I don't know if I could do is that. Is poker a sport? I don't think it. So I just looked up and we can still debate this, but uh, the actual definition of sports, like dictionary definition does say it involves physical exertion. Like that's one of the one of the but characteristics. So Yeah, but after eight hours of magic, vague. are you not physically like, exerted? Like you are. Ga- right? Yeah. Like Gabriel Nassif's seventeen <laughs> rounds of magic. <laughs> would you say that you've exerted yourself physically? Mentally. I would say so. You've you've exerted yourself mentally. Like even like is is playing a GP like physically demanding? This yeah, is a man I, who's I, never I, played in a GP I could hear. <laughs> yes, it's very yeah, physically it, demanding. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say it's very physically demanding. Uh, like Just not in the same way, right? I don't have to train yeah. for like 8 million years. But I mean, like, I, I think... <laughs> well, you kind of do. You might actually... Physically, I'm like, eating chips all day is physically demanding, right? Like, But that's, <laughs> that's not what the... we think of when we say a sport, right? So which, just... which is bad, by the way. Don't G- do that at GP. You want to actually have a good, balanced meal. Or else you're going to be done says, by round two. Says the person who was literally munching chips while we were firing up our recordings what, this well, morning. <laughs> I wasn't at a GP. That's the difference. It's a cheat cheat like, year. I, I would actually think esports has a better argument where you have like twitch speed and reaction time, and then you can start getting into golf territory where you're like, there's some physicality to it, um, but you know it's not the same as playing football. But I think Magic is even further from that, right? It's just clearly a mental game, uh, and I, I don't know. It's like taking a math test, a physical test. I don't know. Like your brain is doing physical things. Like I don't know, right? Like that. Like most people wouldn't draw that line, so I wouldn't consider it to be that. And now everyone's gonna flame me for saying magic is not a sport. I well, I agree with you. I don't think it's a sport either. It's definitely a competition, but I I don't think it is how I would define sports. Uh, fluffy blue boy. I recently bought a set of Arcbound Ravengers on the cheap, around fifty five dollars. I was wondering if you guys think there's potential that they will do something in the future in modern or any other format. Huh? Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen an Arcbound Ravager deck in a long time, even with Mox Opal legal, right? Because at least modern wise. Um, so, may, uh, do you think, like, I don't know, hardened scales can work in modern still? Like, without Mox Opal? Maybe. Like, I don't know. That's a tough one. Arcbound Ravager is a powerful card. It's a power level that, with the right pieces, it's definitely modern and playable. We've seen that in the past. Oh, yeah. So we, yeah, it's definitely playable. I don't think it's impossible that the right like cards come along to make it good again, but without Mox Opal and with modern being so fast, a little bit skeptical that that's going to happen in the near future. So I would say unlikely, but not impossible, that Arcbound Ravager suddenly becomes good again. Or, Or how about this? It's a tentative answer because it's not it's not doing anything currently until you go win that tournament with the Ravager. Ooh, there you go. What about Boom. what about the other way to look at it? Is there any chance that Arcbound Ravager would ever be reprinted in a way that allowed it into Pioneer? No, because I think <laughs> it would be very the, uh, uh, good at Pioneer. The issue with that is that Pioneer has you know like push is the best answer right now, so I guess that does kind of help but like what about other decks i mean i played a red white deck and chain to the rocks is kind of path to exile <laughs> yeah sort of declaration in stone yeah, yeah. well deck decking stone is two mana this uh, i'm serious i i think i think people have forgotten about chain to the rocks that card is the truth if you're in boros <laughs> but yeah i don't know i mean i think it's too strong for pioneer currently believe it or not with all the things going on e- even without an ink moth nexus 
What do you do with Ravager? I mean, I guess the lands aren't here, so that is nice. There is hardened scales, I feel like, though. And hardened yeah. scales Ravager uh, with walking blist is pretty good. Yeah. Like, you, you've seen the ports, right? Like, people pretty much ported over hardened scales from modern into Pioneer. And, and yeah. I, I, I would think Steel Ravager never dies. Of- I, I think Affinity will be good again one day. They will print something or something will happen that it will Return be... to Kaladesh. It, it's one of those archetypes that never go away, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, Affinity has stayed the same way, at least until Mox Opal got banned. Yeah. They'll, they'll print another one. Or they'll print, like, a, a <laughs> no, like <I> <laughs> an artifact ritual or something. They'll, they'll throw, like, some requirement that, like, they think is hard. Like, you must have, like, six artifacts on the battlefield or something. Metalcraft. People will <laughs> Metal do it anyway. <laughs> Like 2X Metalcraft, Metalcraft Delve, I don't know. They'll do something that they think is reasonable, but turns out won't be. <laughs> Metalcraft Delve. Wow, sounds like just like things of nightmares. <laughs> uh, Lava Spike 3, your podcast is now a magic card. What is it and what does it do? Oh. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question. Yeah, actually, it's a really tough question. It's just got to be um, like card draw. No, it's got to be it's got to be like an enchantment, like say experimental frenzy, except you tap it to draw a card, but then you can't play cards out of your hand. <laughs> so all it does is dirtle around and accomplish nothing, but it drew some cards and had fun. I feel like you're just adding adding Seth's like entire commander like deck list. Yes. <laughs> I, I yeah, I don't I don't know how to answer that one. I think like my my take would be uh Look at your opponent's hand because you know information. Um, and Urza's glasses, okay. Like, yeah, so far it's Urza's glasses. Ah, <laughs> <It, laughs> uh, and I guess, like, you know what? Like, uh, what, what, that's it. You just, I think, you just get to look uh, at your opponent's hand, <laughs> nothing more. Dovin's, Dovin's acuity, but with the ability to look at your opponent's hand. <laughs> so, keep drawing cards and gaining life, yeah, and then also looking at your opponent's hand. So, I think it would do literally that. And then you could keep recasting it. Oh, and then and uh, it can counter a spell. <laughs> I think maybe Desperate Ravings is a good one. You got the card draw, but it's a little bit random. It keeps coming back from the graveyard thanks to flashback. Eh? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer for this question. I, I genuinely think Dovin's Acuity is the best way to look at it if, if you add just some way to look at your opponent's hand. Or is there something that does that? Like, like telepathy plus, I don't know some way to draw cards <laughs> peak peak oh peak yeah but all the time <laughs> like peak but all the time <laughs> all right urza's Takaria. when will we have budget commander <laughs> on the podcast again and how upset would y'all be if he manatite your a panamonicon b teferi hero of dominaria c teferi's protection well you see he can't manatite those no he hero of dominaria those. <laughs> no, I know because before Hero of Dominaria, behind every before every great Teferi is another Teferi. <laughs> I mean, if I'm playing Panharmonicon, I probably have Eternal Witness in hand already, so I wouldn't be that upset. If it was my card draw, though, then uh, then I would be really mad. Yeah, like after after like doing a few seasons of Commander Clash now with Seth, I think like the the way to really win is not actually win; it is to blow up the card draw. <laughs> That that'll yeah. get me to kill you. That's for sure. Or try to. <laughs> <laughs> we probably should have like, Tom around the cast more, though. The more serious yeah. part of the question that would be fun to have Tom around. But once he's in a while. gonna he's gonna drop so many f bombs. What are you gonna do? Yeah, that, <laughs> Tomer is banned from the cast thanks to our GP Vegas episode last year. 
<laughs> just swearing up a storm. <laughs> you know what? I, I wouldn't actually be. I don't get mad if you counter the Teferi's protection because it's the right play. It's when it's the wrong play. Like I put, like I cast like a five mana one one or something, and then you you counter it. I'm like, why would you do that? Like there are so many more important things you could be doing. That's what I get. That's what I get upset. If, if you want Tomer's answer for this, it'd be a uh, oh. Did someone play a 1-1? One, one? I'm going to counter that. Okay, <laughs> Seth's going to win the game now. You know what that means. It's like, you don't want to hold that mana tight for the combo player? Like, next nope. week, no, you're going to do the 1-1? One, one? Okay. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's the Tomer line. <laughs> the spiteful counter and, like, pretty much give the game. Although I can't say that anything about that ever because I the amount of assists I've had, like, in all of Commander Clash, like, I'm the best. I'm the best at giving assists in the game. <laughs> uh, joke up. Joku Peterus, the red part of the color wheel is about emotion, but their cards deal with rage, impulsiveness, and other feelings of the goblin spectrum. With Valentine's Day this weekend, this past weekend, how would you portray lust, love, and pleasure in red cards? Um, drawing cards is pleasure. I think so. That's pretty cool. <laughs> red can't draw cards. <laughs> lust, lust is like a um. Uh, act of treason effect <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's that's a little creepy <laughs> oh i guess that is huh <laughs> i don't because like how, with only red cards it's, it's yeah, that, hard that, right? i like, don't maybe that's why red only focuses on like rage and those emotions because it's really yeah, because, hard to make magic cards for for lust that don't come across a little bit weird yeah like all, like no matter what it's gonna come off creepy right <laughs> I don't know. Like that's that's hard to do. I mean, like, what about I, I love? Think, like, I is think there any love way to would be. Love? How would you portray love in Magic: The Gathering? In black, undying. Is it like group <laughs> like group hug stuff? Like happily ever after? Like each player draws and gains life. Oh, like that kind of like yeah, hey, everyone's yeah. happy. Yeah, but that's the, see like happiness like that like that card is temporary, right? At least undying comes back, <laughs> and I, I think that's cool. Like I would re- represent love in black. At least no, you, you get like an annex hardening of the forge. You get a what, what, what was his wife? Siamede, Siamede, and then you meld them together. You tap it. You put like a one-one soldier on the battlefield. Like that's that's how you do <laughs> is it. That, <laughs> is, is is that love? I don't know. <laughs> is, is this the birds and the bees? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> there, there's got to be there's got to be a card that taps to make creature tokens. That that that's love right there. That that is the yeah. birds and the bees. Yeah, okay, nest. so so so, Castle Ardenvale, Castle Ardenvale. There's a lot of love happening in Castle Ardenvale. <laughs> oh dear. All right, Bernard Seymour one hypothetical scenario: Wizards prints a three color fetch land in a future Modern Horizons like set. How much would we have to pay when we crack it? Um, one, one life, one life. I don't actually think a three color fetch land is like that much better than a two color fetch land. Honestly, with with shock lands and dual lands, like your fetch lands can already get basically everything. So I don't. I actually don't think it's like a huge upgrade. What about a tricolor land that came into play untapped, like the like the tri lands, but somehow could come yeah, into play like, untapped? Yeah, like the Ooh. like a shock tri land. Yeah. And had and had like the the types. I, I think that one would have you have to pay more life. More than I a think shot. a three color fetch land is the same. Three life, four life, maybe maybe three, one for each color. That would that would kind of make sense. That's what I would guess. But like, is It'd that be worth so it? Good because then you go fetch bolt yourself. Actually, not fetch shock yourself. <laughs> Do you even need fetches anymore if you're playing tri lands everywhere? 
<laughs> I mean, and, and it's 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 not a reprint of the duels, so yeah. I, I actually think three is probably too cheap. We do that all the time, right? Fetch shock. That's three. Yeah. So but to, that, to get but access becomes, to any mana. But now, if you go fetch land, shot like whatever, bolt yourself for a try land. That's like Boros charming yourself. That's a lot of life. Hmm. And then if you do it four times, you're dead. It's worth it. Pretty much dead. I I think it's worth it. I mean, the the tap try lands. Three life is a cost. People already paid the tap try lands a little bit in Pioneer, so it probably would have to be a pretty high cost. Like if if the tapped ones are like almost playable, and maybe it does have to be like four or more. Well, but they don't pay any life for it, so that's why it's payable. Like like playable, right? Like if if you tapness. (laughs) <laughs> okay okay but outside of the tapness <laughs> i think three land is three life is reasonable for that land maybe four. Oh god but that's a lava axe every time so, somewhere in that <laughs> range i think three three to four i think is where i'd be at somewhere in there i mean because you you it, it would be like shock lands right you don't always fetch the shock and shock yourself right you have basics when you only need one color when you don't need mana fixing like you don't always fetch this thing up and like lava axe your face right you just do it when you need to <laughs> other times it's just like a tri land that comes into play tapped it, well i mean i'm gonna make sure it is because i don't want to pay for life. <laughs> <laughs> uh mr stevie for against the odds does the crew think seth missed out the opportunity to say let's get cracking every time he played one <laughs> Uh, pr- yeah, probably, Seth, we, but... we need, we, you need to step up the pun game, don't you? I think, I think you need to just constantly make more so, puns. Some opportunities are better missed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. La- All right, second to last question, because there's one more question I see. But uh, his thighness, I've often heard, is correct to bolt the bird, but what about countering the wild growth? I've never heard countering the wild growth. I mean, I, mean, I assume that's in response to bolt the bird, right? You have to counter oh. wild growth at this point you're like all in right uh, it depends what ma- is this like against infect because like if it's against <laughs> infect i probably shouldn't shouldn't let that hit me <laughs> probably depends on the counter too like spell pierce yeah. sure i'll spell pierce wild growth basically every time on turn one if it's like counter spell it's a little worse if you got to spend you know a real counter and then, yeah, I guess if it comes down to the matchup, as I said, like, I don't do anything in their combat step unless I'm about to die if it's, like, infect, right? I wait until the end of their turn and then oh, try wait, to, like, wait, 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 I'm an it. idiot. It's wild growth, not giant growth. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh you, you would obviously counter the wild growth. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you can't have that. <laughs> uh, all right, last question. 11 Vicious. If Jace the Mime Sculptor, Lily on the Veil, and Ren and Six all had passives, what would they be? Uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor would be to also brainstorm again. <laughs> no, no, I, I think uh, that's a good question, actually. What would Jace's passive be? Because he does so many things, right? He bounces, he... Sculpting minds. I don't know. What is sculpting minds? L- l- oh, oh, your telepathy. While we're on it, your opponent always plays with their hand revealed. Ooh. That would be... That, that would, would actually be, be pretty sweet. Yeah, right? I like that. You get to see their hand, and then you get to... Uh... Fate seal them too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no so you you truly lock your opponent out. There is no hidden information. Liliana's tough. Uh, could it? Uh, hmm. Maybe could it be like a, a Sir Conrad thing? Something like whenever a card goes into your opponent's graveyard, they lose a life. Something like that to benefit from the thinking, discard and the sacrifice part and the ultimate. Yeah, I yep. was thinking something along those lines where like whenever a card enters your opponent's you know graveyard from anywhere something happens 
Maybe you get a two a one one zombie. <laughs> that would be so good with the negative if you could make tokens yeah. and sack them. That would make exactly so good. Minus two, make them sack, and then boom, you get or or uh, oh man, yeah. I I think it has to do something like that. Like when a card enters your opponent's yard from somewhere, something happens. I I think a one one zombie is reasonable or a spirit. Okay, actually, a spirit flies. That's not reasonable. You're saying any of these things is reasonable as if the card alone is not strong enough? <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't yeah. know why we need to make these cards better, but... Honestly, honestly, though, think about it. Like, with the new Planeswalkers, the new three-mana Planeswalkers, I think I think those cards might need to catch up with the times. Like, <laughs> Jason right? Weisskalter needs to catch up to Teferi, man. He's not... Dude, not he does. Like, Teferi and Oko, like, you ask about what the five best Planeswalkers are, I'm pretty sure a lot of it's from, like, War of the Spark. <laughs> yeah. No, from the last year, right. probably. Last one, Red and Six. What is the Red and Six passive? Oh. Hmm. Uh. So the, the emblem is already the Raven's Crime. I think ga- gain a life when you play a land. I, like, I think it'd be... Prefix. I mean, Red and Six is still two mana, so gaining a life is pretty disgusting. I think it'd have to be <laughs> just something like your like, lands you have... Con- like lands you control have hexproof or something like that. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> is that broken? I don't know. I don't play. Uh, uh, lands you enter, get an untapped trigger. Just make it full. Oh, as the amulet? amulet. Oh no! Good lord, no, dude. No, God, no. Yeah, no hexproof. I, I think gain a life. Gain a life might be fine. I, I think that could. Do you, do you think gain a life is better than hexproof? It, no, like, I think hexproof is. Yeah. You would just really? play red and six to protect your stupid land, and if you somehow still manage to kill it, you would bring it back, right? Actually, hmm. Because the thing with Hexproof is you can already replay your lands from your graveyard, so... Yeah. So maybe that's actually less powerful than gaining a life because that's a little redundant, maybe? Yeah, like, it's it's it has, it's Ooh. a two-mana Planeswalker. You can't also, like, dunk on burn decks out of nowhere for some odd reason. <laughs> lands your control have... <laughs> Tap, sacrifice, destroy, target, land. All right. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Hexproof? And once again. Yeah, I think hexproof. I don't think that's broken. Have you seen How is that more broken than gain a life? How is that more broken than gain a life? I'm going to go gain a life. I think you've convinced me, Richard. Gain a life. What? If you're you're gaining life, you're playing some weird fair deck, you're automatically losing. And Red and Six already likes aggro, so... You're already playing a, a, a fair deck because you're playing Red and Six. And on top yeah. of that, like, think about that. Like, then fetch lands are free. <laughs> fetch lands, you literally just, like, dunk on burn decks for some random reason. Some passive dunk. Yeah, but that it doesn't... See, Red and Six is a fair card. If you give your lands hexproof, you, you make Red and Six, like, a combo piece, which I don't think I want. <laughs> oh. Okay, I mean, yeah, like I could see it. With, like, then you could think about it, like you go like five color like creature land decks, <laughs> raging ravine, like colonnade. All these have hexproof. Grant, granted that I am paying five mana to beat you down with the land, so probably I'm, I'm already winning. But uh, I, off topic, I was reading. Uh, I think it was like the modern subreddit or something, and then there are like. John players is like the new OK Boomer. So if if your opponent if your opponent activates Rage Ravine, you just say OK Boomer. <laughs> it's 2020. No one plays Vin Rage anymore, Crim. You don't play these terrible creatures. Somebody like somebody at the like LGS I played as like, oh, it's a combo meta in, in Pioneer. And and Crim's answer, play Grixis mid-range. <laughs> 
All right, that's all the fish mail we have. We went way over time, but it's okay. Thank you to sending for everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 264 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Grimm, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. You can get 10% off over at cardconduit.com slash goldfish. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. So, until then, have a wonderful week. And this is the crew signing out. Yeah.